This is a podcast by The Business Times. Hi there, I'm Genevieve Kuo, Wealth Editor of The Business Times. Welcome to this latest episode of Wealth with BT. Does it seem to you as if markets are particularly volatile this year? To me so far, markets literally feel like a roller coaster ride to the point that I brace myself every time I look at my portfolio, which isn't very often. Earlier in the year, up to June or even July, almost all assets were down by double digits, both equities and bonds. Right now, stocks have recovered some lost ground, but both are still down in double digits. There are a few reasons that markets are in turmoil. Of course, the Ukraine-Russia conflict is ongoing, so the geopolitical fallout and uncertainty are there. But other major factors are the trend in interest rates, which is upwards, plus inflation, which is also rising for the first time in many years. In this episode, I'm going to look into the opportunities in higher interest rates, especially for the more risk-averse among you. It isn't all bad news. In fact, for those who need to anchor their savings in higher-yielding and safer places, today's environment offers a silver lining. This is a far cry from just a year ago, when fixed deposits were yielding way less than 1%. Let's just do a very quick rundown of the trend in interest rates and inflation, because both are related. Around this time last year, U.S. inflation was already creeping up. But if you recall, the Federal Reserve maintained its stance that this was transitory. But this year, it became clear that it needed to take action. In June, U.S. inflation hit 9%. And then 8.5% in July. Both are 40 year highs. If the Fed failed to act, this could lead to a spiraling of costs and will be negative for the economy. As you're probably aware, today's inflation is caused by several factors. The post COVID spike in demand for goods and services as economies opened up, the war, high energy and commodity prices, plus the supply chain bottlenecks as China, with its zero-COVID policy, was now and again in some form of lockdown. In many parts of the world, central banks like the Federal Reserve in the U.S. respond to inflation by raising their benchmark interest rates. This isn't the case for Singapore, where instead of adjusting interest rates, the Monetary Authority of Singapore uses the Sing dollar exchange rate to try to achieve price stability, since we are a very open trade economy. Singapore's inflation is high as well, clocking in at 4.8% in July. That's a 14-year high. Recently, for example, the MAS allowed the Sing dollar to strengthen. A stronger currency helps businesses and households, which need to purchase imported goods. But for exporters, it will make their goods more expensive to foreign buyers. So let's get back to the U.S. The Fed has so far raised rates four times this year. This has an impact on Singapore interest rates as well. For example, the interest rate benchmark for home loans here, whether it is the Singapore Overnight Rate Average, or SORA, or the Singapore Interbank Offer Rate, or CYBOR, have risen this year. But here's the more important thing. Higher U.S. rates have a big impact on markets. In fixed income, bond prices fall when rates rise. As for stocks, a higher interest rate means a higher discount rate is used to value a company's future stream of earnings. A higher discount rate depresses the value of a company's shares today. That's why, over the past few months, most equity markets, particularly tech stocks, have fallen. Here's the big question. Where can you put your spare cash today, especially if you are risk-averse, like me? 
<laughs> Here are some options that I pursued myself. One, you can pay yourself first by topping up your CPF account, particularly for retirement if you are older. The CPF interest rates today, 2.5% for the ordinary account and 4% for a special account, are still very attractive rates, even if time deposit rates are creeping up. One of the best parts of topping up your CPF is, apart from the tax benefit of a voluntary contribution, your savings are assured. Sums for retirement go into the retirement account, which pays up to 6% in interest. I'm a big advocate of putting money into the CPF life. This is the annuity scheme managed by the CPF. The CPF life will pay you an income for life, which is no small matter because we're all living very long lives. The CPF website has a calculator for you to work out the lump sum or premium needed for your desired income level at 65. But there's one thing to note among others. The income that is quoted is not exactly guaranteed, although I believe it's very stable. Instead, as the CPF says, the premium and payout levels are set by an actuarial consultant. They are based on factors such as your age, gender, CPF interest rates, and Singapore's mortality rates. Why is the CPF life so attractive? I've actually done a column earlier on the comparable private annuity schemes via insurance, which you could also look into. Basically, for the desired income, let's say it's $2,000 a month for life. If you pick a private insurer, you will generally need to invest much more than the premium quoted by the CPF. What's more, private annuities are typically quoted with a portion that's not guaranteed. This non-guaranteed portion, which will be substantial, may be reduced if the investment experience is poor. If you want a fully guaranteed income, your lump sum premium will be even higher. That's the first option, topping up your CPF and CPF life plan. The second option, consider the Singapore Savings Bond. The August issuance of the SSB, which closed late July, had a very attractive interest rate of 3% per annum over 10 years. The September issue has a slightly lower interest rate of 2.8%, and it closes on August 26. I made an application for both August and September issues, and will be watching future issuances. There's some things to note about the SSBs. One, the SSB interest rate over 10 years broadly follows the yield curve of Singapore government bonds, starting from one-year T-bill to the 10-year government bond. Under normal circumstances, the yield curve should slope upwards gently. This means you are compensated for longer holding periods. If you look at the annual interest rate of SSBs, you will see that the rate steps up the longer the tenor. But there is a possibility that the yield curve may invert, which means that you could be paid more for a short holding period compared to holding for 10 years. If this happens, the MAS will step in to make adjustments so that a step-up coupon schedule is maintained. The MAS has said this is to encourage long-term savings. So you can be assured that if you hold for the full 10 years, you will receive the indicated effective per annum return, which is 2.8% for September issuance. An inverted yield curve, if this happens, reflects pessimism over the economic outlook. But that's subject for another column or podcast. The second thing to note about SSBs is they are not cash on tap, unlike fixed deposits. While the principal and interest payment are secure, and you can make full or partial redemptions with no penalty, you will likely need to wait one month before the cash is credited to you. 
This liquidity window is a good thing because if you see other more attractive opportunities, you can cash out and reinvest your proceeds. So far, in terms of options, we've talked about the CPF and the Singapore Savings Bond. The third option is plain fixed deposits. Fixed deposits are a very safe way to hold cash. But do note that deposit guarantee under the deposit insurance scheme is for up to $75,000 per institution. This means if you have several accounts under one bank, the amounts are aggregated and insured for up to $75,000. For fixed deposits in August, you can get as much as around 2.5% per annum for a longer holding period of up to 36 months. A Google search will show you compilations of the latest FD rates or promotions. These rates change very quickly. The minimum amount required also varies per bank. At some banks, it may be as little as $500, and for others, it's more than $10,000 or $20,000. Some banks may require you to deposit fresh funds. Fixed deposits are very liquid, and you can break them or do a premature withdrawal if you need cash. But you may be charged a penalty, which is that you may not be credited the full interest rate for the tenor. At the worst case, you may not receive the interest portion depending on the terms and conditions. Because of this, I think in order to have more flexibility, it's probably better to enter into FDs in smaller tranches rather than one big lump sum. By the way, if you don't mind the US dollar exposure, US dollar fixed deposit rates have also trended up significantly. In August, you could get more than 3.4% per annum, depending on the bank, for a six-month deposit. That's it for fixed deposits. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. And now back to our podcast episode. The fourth option is cash plus products in the funds area. These are unit trusts like money market funds and short duration bond funds that are often seen almost as cash alternatives. Since there is a little risk, ideally, you should get a return higher than cash. The major thing to note is that some of the funds or portfolios can suffer a loss, although it is relatively small compared to the losses that bond funds in general have suffered this year. Still, if your reference or benchmark is a fixed deposit, then any negative return may not be acceptable to you. In fact, based on some robo-services cash portfolios, depending on how much risk is taken, the portfolios may suffer a loss of over 2% year-to-date. Hence, it's important that you look into a fund's underlying holdings in order to decide if the risk is acceptable given your objectives. Okay, just to recap, we have so far mentioned four lower-risk options, the CPF, the SSB, fixed deposits, and cash plus funds. The fifth option I'd like to mention is bonds. Bonds, are you know, are an asset class where you provide financing to a company and the company pays you a regular coupon or interest rate. At maturity, as long as the company's credit standing is good, you get your principal back. The hurdle for investors is that the lump sum investment typically required to buy a corporate bond is quite high around $200,000 to $250,000 at a time. If your assets are not so substantial, you may find that a single bond or even fewer than a handful will raise your concentration risk or the risk of being too exposed to any single company. Some local names have issued retail tranches where you can invest with smaller amounts of $1,000, like the SIA, and the bonds are listed on SGX. You could get exposure to the bond market, of course, via a bond fund, which is professionally managed. 
This makes sense for many parts of the bond market that are hard for individuals to access, like global and emerging market bonds, or Asian corporate bonds, or even U.S. high yield. Even as rates rise and bond values fall, I believe you still shouldn't dismiss bonds out of hand, because in normal market conditions, bonds still help to anchor and diversify your portfolio. As always, you need to be comfortable with the underlying holdings and mandate of any bond fund you pick. Also, it's possible that a bond fund, while less volatile than an equity fund, might suffer losses like today. Depending on your time frame, bond funds are losing money because higher interest rates cause bond prices to fall. So there is a mark-to-market loss, even though the fund manager may or may not trade the bonds actively. In contrast, if you hold a bond to maturity, while you'll also see your bond value fall on a mark-to-market basis, such losses shouldn't bother you too much because at the end of the day, you get your coupon and your principal back. I'd like to talk specifically about one bond that I applied for earlier this year. That's the private equity bond by Azalea, which is part of their Astrea series. Azalea is part of the Temasek Group. Its mission is to try to help investors get a better return for their long-term savings. It does this by issuing PE bonds with a tranche for retail investors. That is, the bond's underlying asset is a portfolio of private equity funds. PE, as you may know, is typically restricted to sophisticated or accredited investors because the funds invest in unlisted companies and there may be no liquidity if you need to exit. Also, unless you're very wealthy, individuals cannot get access to the best and most well-known PE managers. What makes the Australia bonds interesting is the lengths to which the manager has taken to structure protection for retail investors. One example is that the underlying fund distributions, which will be paid as coupons, are paid to investors in a set sequence, with a priority given to the lowest-risk retail tranche. The bonds are also over-collateralized, and their credit facilities on standby for expenses and interest payments in case of shortfalls. So far, these facilities have not been used. The issue I applied for was Astrea 7 earlier this year, with a coupon rate of just over 4.1%. The market price has been pretty resilient. It's listed on the SGX, which makes it transparent and liquid. Next year, I'm sure there will be a fresh issuance, and it's something to watch for. Of course, private equity will be impacted should there be stagflation, which is a period of slow economic growth and high inflation. It's possible that the underlying companies that PE funds invest in may be hit, but I'm counting on diversification to cushion this. For Astra 7, the portfolio invested in around 38 PE funds, which are in turn invested in almost a thousand companies. So far, we've talked about five options, the CPF, the Singapore Savings Bonds, FDs, Cash Plus Funds, and Bonds. There is a sixth option, and that is endowments offered by insurance companies. Based on some indications from a couple of insurers, it's possible to buy a 10-year endowment with a total yield per annum of more than 2.9%. That's not bad, but you have to consider a few things. One, endowments are a long-term commitment. Because of the built-in costs like commissions, you will normally incur a loss if you redeem it in the early years. So that's one down for liquidity. Two, while there is a portion of return that's guaranteed, the rate is very low, at just a fraction of 1%. At this time, when you can put money into a fixed deposit and earn around 2.5% for three years, it seems to me endowments aren't so competitive. 
That's it for the lower risk options that you can consider in the rising rate environment. As I've said, higher rates aren't all bad news, even if so far stocks and bonds are in the red. In fact, it's not possible to earn something on spare cash, unlike the past few years when you earn nearly nothing. What you need to keep in mind, though, is that even though deposit rates and bond yields are now more attractive, they still do not keep up with inflation. Singapore's July inflation is high at 4.8%. That means that much as markets may seem scary, you still need to invest or take some risk in order to beat inflation and achieve growth in your portfolio for the long term. That's it for now. I hope this has been helpful to you. Until the next episode, thank you for listening. That was a podcast by The Business Times. Send your feedback to podcast at sph.com.sg. Find us on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or via the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Alexa-enabled devices. For more podcasts by The Straits Times, The Business Times, and Money FM 89.3, you can also download the audio by SPH app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. This podcast is meant to provide general information only. SPH Media accepts no liability for loss arising from any reliance on the podcast or use of third parties' products and services. Please consult professional advisors for independent advice.